0: Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences and the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME.
1: Hi everyone, Uh, my name's Sean, I work in public programs here at ACME, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Studio One today for a very special session of Live in the Studio. Uh, Live in the Studio is our ongoing series of events exploring uh, all things TV, which we've had the pleasure of co-presenting this time around with the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Uh, Now, last year, we took a look at queer representation across a range of diverse television shows in our first edition of Queering the Small Screen, and this year we're very happy uh, to join forces with MQFF and head back into the archive for an encore look at those early silver screen representations and to see how and if uh, things have changed since those characters were first broadcast into our lounge rooms. Um, we'll also be examining a few of the current crop of uh, queers on the box, and we'll also take a look forward to explore the possible futures of GLBTI representation and queer television programming in general. Um, I'll hand over to these guys now. Uh, chairing today's exploration is a writer, editor, uh, and all round media guru, Tim Hunter. Yay! <laughs> um, Tim has spoken at Acme before uh, on everything from the bad boys of TV to uh, the sing-along show tunes of Glee. Um, He has extensive experience in both print and uh, online media, and he's currently Time Out's queer editor and is also a writer and reviewer at The Urban Hunter. Uh, Tim will be joined today by a collection of uh, some of Live in the Studio's favourite speakers, including writer, comedian, and social commentator Catherine Devaney. Uh, Free, Yeah? (laughs) Uh, freelance writer and editor Rachel Cook. Yay. And award winning writer and broadcaster John Richards. I <laughs> I've actually won, won two, so it's multi-award with really. Multi-award, <laughs> right. there you go. Um, just before we get started, a few really uh, quick pieces of housekeeping. If you do need to leave uh, to go to the bathroom and anything uh, during the session, if you just want to leave via this side door, we'll have an usher here that can uh, help you in and out. And we're also recording the session for podcasts, so if you can turn off your phones that doesn't interrupt r- the recording, that'd be great. But for now, I'll hand over to these guys and they'll uh, take you through uh, querying the small screen.
2: Well, thank you, Sean. Um, Yes, and I'm going to be sort of kind of emceeing and introducing everyone as well as having my own little bit to say. Um, As Sean said, yes, we did this last year um, and things have actually moved on quite a bit since we did it almost 12 months ago. So um, we'll be, you know, sort of discovering that. We'll be looking at, you know, sort of how it was, how it is now. It actually is a good time to, you know, sort of for quiz queers on the screen. with some qualifications, and I think we'll sort of, you know, we'll get to those towards the end of the, the, um, the session today as well. So um, let's get stuck straight into it with Catherine Devaney. Right, right. Who leads, needs no introduction, obviously. Um, but she is doing a show as part of the comedy festival called Kirby Crumpet. <laughs> yes, shameless plug. <laughs> um, and she's going to talk us, talk us through queer TV in the 70s. So, um, yes, so thank you, Catherine. Take it away. Thank you very much.
3: The things that have made the most negative impacts in my sexuality and the most people I know have been narrow social conventions, religion, Hollywood movies and commercial TV. Most porn I've seen, and I'm not and never have been a massive consumer of porn, I'm just, you know, very dull, Um, I've found hilarious, entertaining, educational and or arousing. Even when it's not my cup of tea and occasionally confronting, it's been educational, making me more understanding of the diversity in sexual expression, opened me up and given me ideas to broaden my own pleasure and help me understand where my own boundaries are. The mere fact I have seen stuff in porn not only made me realise it existed, but let me know it was okay. And if not for me, for some people. And that's okay. I did a fantastic radio session when I was filling in on the ABC 774 a few years ago on the topic of the gender imbalance in commercial television with my gay husband and housemate Michael Lallow from The Age, uh, the par- at the time Joy broadcaster Bridget Boson and Simon Palomares from Acropolis Now, Il Dago, etc. Two women, two men. Two ethnics, two whites. Two straights, two gays. We talked about gender representation in the media, or lack of, so diversity. Simon said, apropos the lack of ethnics on TV, it's a bit like a second child. I'm a second child, so my ears pricked up. You open a photo album, they're chock full of pictures of the first child and a couple of snaps shoved into the back of the second child, usually with the first child. If you're a third child, forget it. (laughs) The second child asks, why are there so many photos of the first child? They can't help thinking that they're less important. No matter what the parents say, the second child and all those who flicked for the photo album can't help but think the first child is better than the second. So queer TV has always been, to me, and it seemed like, the second child. I saw very few gay characters on the Dreambox as a child. There are a few that I remember and let me introduce them to you. Let's go. Okay, that, of course, was Billy Crystal playing, um, you know, playing Dennis. And then Dennis Jodie Carroll, the whole 1977, two relationships, uh, one with a woman, but, you know, he, he was gay. And it was one of my first liberating experiences showing something other than the normal Christian, heterosexual, married, breeding, mortgaged, you know, one size fits all. Um, the second clip I'd like to show you is with a man who probably doesn't need an in introduction. It's from Mash. It's um, it's Klinger, and Klinger, of course, um, uh, cross dressed um, because he was trying to get out of the army through a Section Eight. And a Section Eight refers to a category of discharge from the United States military where one is judged mentally unfit for service. And so, of course, if you're wearing a frock. You're mentally unfit. In the 1950s, a Section 8 discharge was commonly given to a service member found guilty of sexual perversion. You'd all be out, wouldn't you? Um, (laughs) As a form of undesirable discharge. It deprived the person um, discharged with the Section 8 of no veteran's benefit. Okay, let's have a look. Klinger. Now, what's interesting with those two guys is they were part of the mob. They were really embraced by the, you know, the digesis and the world of the, the, the narrative that they were, they were put in. Let me just veer off for a second and uh, tell you about my 15-year-old son, Don. We've been living with Michael, who's gay for three years, and my kids are used to seeing a lot of diversity in their lives. And not just in my clothes and choice of partners. Um, and wh- uh, when uh, Michael had his first boyfriend, we were, when he moved in, Dom said to me, he said, ''I feel really bad because I feel uncomfortable watching Doug and Michael kiss.'' And I said, ''That is so fantastic that you realise that.'' And I'm not surprised. How often have you seen same-sex attracted people kiss on billboards, in advertising, in movies, on television?'' Don't feel bad about it. It's really good that you recognise it, but it just shows how little diversity is in the images that we see around us. Now, thirdly, a character who I'll show who was not, of course, embraced, and uh, it probably was because she was a lesbian. Let's have a look at the freak, shall we? Uh, that, of course, was Joan the Freak Ferguson, played by Maggie K- uh, Kirkpatrick, um, the sadistic and corrupt lesbian prisoner officer known to the prisoners as the Freak, um, infamous for the body searches she conducted using her trademark le- black leather gloves, which coincidentally um, are worn by my housemate Michael Lallow. Um, so I remember being um, a young girl, about 10, and saying to mum, because of course we all love watching Prisoner, saying to Mum, why does a freak never win a Logie? And she said, that's not how it works. This year, year, last year, the, the Logies gave the Hall of Fame Award to Molly Meldrum. In the 29 awards, only once has the Hall of Fame Award been given to a woman, and that was Ruth Cracknell. Anyone who says it's on merit has clearly never been exposed to the dearth of talent on our screens. Or more likely... They're just so used to it. Um, When any kind of humour endeavour should go on, you know how there's environmental impact uh, impact statement? I think we should apply a social impact statement and any kind of movie, film, any kind of human endeavour, should have 50% female, 10% gay, 1 in 5 suffering a mental illness, 1 in 3 with parents from a non-English speaking background, 9% attending church, 40% not believing in any any entity, 30% singles and 40% renters. Because my friends, (laughs) television is thought by the unwashed masses and promoted by the middle-aged, middle-class, straight or straight-acting, God-fearing or pretending men with the disproportionate amount of access to power, control, money, leisure and decision-making to mirror our society, our culture and our values. But the truth is, it has and continues to create a warped, and by erecting and, and reinforcing the cookie-colour society feels that it is supposed to shoehorn itself into. By, by and large, television continues to show not the diverse society we live in, but the society that only exists in the imaginations of most television exec- executives' nana's daydreams. What we have to ask ourselves is, who has a vested interest in not reflecting the authentic diversity on our screens of the society that we live in? And when they do, it is more often than not unhelpful and unhealthy stereotypes, or at the very most, token and why. I'm not going to pretend that I'm so incredibly grateful for the, sh- for the few... Uh, Versions of diversity and representation of, of queers that I see on the screen. I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to be grateful for that because it's not good enough. We have a lot to catch up um, to represent what's really going on in the world and I think that we will have got there when one day I see a televised version of the uh, Brownlow and there's, a, there's a, a football player with his boyfriend on his arm and they're asking, you know, and who are you dressed by? Um, <laughs> thank you
2: very much. Um, yes, now, look, I think we might just keep questions till later, um, just so we can sort of plough... or not plough through, because that sounds like it's hard work, but it's not. Um, but I think we'll just um, hop straight into um, to Rachel Cook now, who's... Um, Who's a writer and a journalist and an, 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 an editor? She's been working in the queer community for about 10 years and she's got a background in cultural studies, so she knows what she's talking about. And she's actually going to be talking about representation of lesbians on the small box. Small box? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. You of the choice of words, Tim.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, as uh, Tim said, I am speaking about um, the, actually the evolution of re- lesbian representation on television and how far. It's come or not come in the last few decades. So whilst on the surface it may have seemed as if we've come a long way when you compare, say, this to this, how much has changed really? So I'm going to actually start with talking about, uh, I'm going to go back to Hollywood in the 1930s and talk a little bit about the Motion Picture Production Code, otherwise known as the Hays Code, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. Now, whilst if you have a quick read through there, you'll see there are some real clangers, but the one that we're actually talking about here is any inference of sexual perversion, which read homosexuality. So this code was basically about cleaning up American films so that it was representative of a more palatable American society. And, of course, while there are examples of filmmakers who got around this by using certain symbolism and coded language... Uh, which could easily be read by a savvy audience, um, but the fact was you were not allowed to portray homosexuality in film. So in the '60s, when this code was being phased out and we started seeing more homosexual characters, but there was a catch. and what you saw was and this was especially the case with lesbian characters. They were either portrayed as psychotic, homicidal, vengeful, lascivious, mm-hmm. and manipulative and they were often a tragic character who was more often than not killed off in the end. Now, I think the Frankie Doyle character in the uh, prisoner series, the 1980s prisoner series, clearly demonstrates the classic life cycle of a lesbian character. So I'm going to show a clip in a moment um, that demonstrates this. And I'm not sure if in this clip it's the actual real credits of this episode, although I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But I'll just set up the scene for you first. So Frankie and her best friend Doreen have escaped Wentworth Detention Centre. They're on the run when Frankie gets shot and, of course, killed. Now, in this video about the show, Doreen has just come back to Wentworth and faces Karen, who Frankie was in love with. That love was unrequited, which is also another big theme for lesbian characters. (coughs) And then we see scenes from Frankie's life, which I'll talk us through as well. So if we can just roll that clip, thanks. Then, of course, there was also The the Freak, who Catherine just spoke about, um, who was actually one of the most disturbing characters that we've ever seen on Australian television. And it was her portrayal that her sexuality was something sinister that made her so repulsive. So, as you can imagine, for someone who was entering their teenage years and questioning their sexuality, as I was at that time, uh, to have uh, Frankie Doyle and the freak as your role models was um, a little disturbing <laughs> and uh, quite terrifying if I, as I wondered if that was my actual future. Um, so, i going to start by going back to film and uh, bringing it back to television. So, here we have the 1936 film Dracula's Daughter which has one of the greatest taglines ever. She gives you that weird feeling. (laughs) And she really does. Uh, And it's not just because she's a vampire, it's because she's obviously a raving lesbian. Now, I know that this sort of contradicts what I said about the production code, because this film got in and she is clearly a lesbian in the film. But uh, actually, this film caused the sense there's no end of worry and they had to make major changes at the time to get the film through. But it's amazing it actually did get through. Um, it's a great film and, and, uh, for lots of reasons. But also one of the interesting things is the metaphor of psychiatry being able to cure uh, vampirism, uh, read homosexuality. Um, is interesting, to say the least. And of course, in the end, she, is, she dies. Um, so there's been a long history of lesbian vampires, and they have been well and truly represented in recent years, uh, as well. Enter True Blood and Pam, who was on the uh, far left. Now there are plenty of, uh, there were plenty of questionable characters in True Blood, but Pam is known as the meanest. Uh, even Eric uh, had a soft side, but pa- Pam is pure evil. And not only that, she revels in it. Her destructive nature knew no end. Her hatred permeates almost everything she does. And her lust for revenge is unquenchable. However, in looking at how lesbian characters have evolved, or at least the treatment of them has changed over the years, Pam actually made it through the entire series without being killed off. Um, And not only that, she was actually one of the most popular characters and she had all of the best lines. I'm sure if any of you are fans you'll remember the line um, I'm so sick of Sookie and her fairy vagina. (laughs) (coughs) However, uh, even though the future of lesbian characters may look look a little bit brighter and we certainly um, look better, um, I think it's certainly fair to say that we are still fairly nuts. Uh, Which brings me to Glee and Santana. Um, So here she is with her girlfriend, um, Brittany. So Santana is, as always was, in uh, in love with her fellow cheerleader, Brittany. And as she didn't know how to handle her sexuality, in typical lesbian fashion, she just became a complete bitch. Uh, She's the classic, angry, vengeful lesbian character. She also experienced some unrequited love, which is, of course, what the lesbian character must go through. And in an interesting take on Santana's inability to cope with being a lesbian, she was also portrayed as something of a man-eater who used men ruthlessly to cover up her big secret. However, also like Pam, she was one of the most popular uh, characters on the show. And actually, at one point, her, um, she was so popular that uh, there was an enormous amount of of of, uh, fan videos on YouTube that celebrated her bitchier moments, and we'll just show one of those now, thanks. (laughs) Okay, um, so I just want to actually finish off with some lesbian TV characters discussing lesbian stereotypes. Rick and Steve, um, the happiest couple in the world. Now, for those who don't know this series, it's an animated uh, show about a community of queers and it seems even in animation that lesbians can't escape as being portrayed as mean and nasty. There's a character called Dana on the show, and even the show's creators describe her as an angry bull dyke. Anyway, uh, here's Dana and her girlfriend. And that's it. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Every time we do this you crack on to I, me. I that again I just love it.
3: So I got the lipstick and I like
0: pink.
2: Right, let's <laughs> All right, I think it's, that means it's uh, my turn to um to talk about um, That was then and this is now. I thought um, what I would do is is actually sort of talk about, you know, sort of uh, gay males on on TV. And, look, you know, these days there are actually plenty of of gay characters on TV in 2013, mostly from shows from the US and the UK. Um, You know, sort of we've already seen Rachel sort of give us glee and we've obviously got Kurt and... and, um, I forgotten his boyfriend's name already. That's dreadful. Um, but yeah, we've got um, you know, Glee, Modern Family, obviously with um, with Mick and Cameron, uh, Mitch and Cameron, uh, The New Normal, which is a relatively new, not so successful show from Ryan Murphy who created Glee. Um, I find it a bit preachy and a bit sort of um, a bit too um, didactic. with it's you know, think it's about a gay couple who are um, adopting a. Um, A a child, a baby. So it's sort of you know yeah, we've got True Blood, um, we've got Downton Abbey, who's got the um, you know the the evil gay manservant, Um, and you know sort of it's it's quite a a diverse representation of of gay characters in some ways, and that's you know a good thing. But on Australian TV, it's a it's a slightly different story. We've got a smattering of, of supporting gay characters in shows such as Offspring. Uh, winners and losers, um, even you know our period dramas like Miss Fisher's murder mysteries and um, Doc, the Doctor Blake mysteries, which are, are playing at the moment, have had episodes. You know the the, the crime or the murder of the week have have centred around um, gay characters, not necessarily badly, but you know sort of. Um, um, but yeah, there's sort of they're there, and that's kind of good to sort of see this see that in these period pieces. Um, and it wasn't until recently, like you know sort of the um, last couple of years, that Neighbours actually acquired its first. Regular gay male character, um, a guy called Chris, um, and that's, that was that was seen as a bit of a breakthrough. Um, but in in the context of you know sort of a wider international TV thing, it was a bit of a it was a bit late essentially, given that you know UK soaps such as EastEnders and Coronation Street um, already had gay characters and gay storylines, that it was, you know, it was, that was no drama, that was no issue. Um, maybe Neighbours were scared off by the outrage that um, Home and Away's lesbian kiss had a few years ago. There was, um, there was a huge outcry, and I still don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this huge big outcry about, you know, sort of these two girls, you know, teenage girls kissing and exploring their sexuality and, you know, sort of, it, I think it, they, they toned it down and one of them, you know, was just experimenting, um, of course. But, um, but it's, I find it interesting that, you know, a, a soap like Home and Away, you know, sort of is able to, you know, to sort of portray drug use and infidelity and teen pregnancy and alcohol abuse. They're all fine. You know, But, yeah, heaven forbid that you actually show same-sex attraction, you know, sort of on a, a, a family-based or, you know, family demographic um, soap opera, which is... And it's kind of interesting, um, you know, and given that, you know, sort of in, in the Queer Film Festival this year we've had the whole issue with um, the, the banning or the, the, you know, sort of the the inability to screen I Want Your Love, because... Um, which is a, the, the film that was basically banned because it was showing too much. You know, yes, but, you know, then... You know, and there's been a lot of arguments about you know films such as Django Unchained and um, A Good Day to Die Hard, which you know incredibly violent and huge body counts and stuff like that, and that that seems fine, um, but no, you can't show a loving same-sex relationship, even if it, especially if it involves real sex, um, and those kind of double standards are still around, obviously, which is a bit of a shame. Um, it's also disappointing for us here in Australia, cause we, um, you know, and, and, and TV, because we actually led the way back in the '70s, um, about 40 years ago, with the show Number 96. Um, now, that was groundbreaking for a lot of reasons. You know, there was it was the first, you know, sort of our soap opera, first Australian produced series to actually show, you know, sort of nudity. You know, we had Abigail flashing her tits just about every episode, mm-hmm. I think, um, and we also had Don, the resident homosexual. Um, but before he could, you know, sort of... Um, and, and he had a boyfriend, he had a life and all this sort of thing, but before he could actually enjoy life as an openly gay man on TV, um, he had to deal with Abigail. And I just thought I'd show you a, a clip of, um, of, of of Don dealing with... You know, dealing with Abigail at the first instance. So we'll have a look at that clip from number 96, from about 1972, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Bev's Roth. And there are were, there were other scenes there where she sort of um, um, kind of... Um, Tries to reconcile. He tries to reconcile with her, and she's um, equally as, as vitriolic and, and intolerant of his sexuality. I think you know, sort of eventually, it, it sort of it calms down. But you know, sort of um, that was so that was 1972. That was you know, yeah, forty forty one years ago. Um, and then what followed after that was you know, a couple, decades of bit parts and one off characters in shows like Cop Shop, uh, Prisoner, A Country Practice, The Box, Chances. All saints, um, and more often than not, these these one-off characters or these bit parts were victims of violence or medical conditions. Um, especially in the mid to late 80s, that, you know, sort of involved AIDS. You know, sort of there were always, you know, especially the hospital dramas and stuff. There was always a gay man who was suffering from AIDS or an STI. Um, you know, and or they'd actually be camp stereotypes. You know, already, ready with a bitchy one-liner, you know, sort of just there to sort of be either the comic relief or the sounding board for you know, usually a, a straight female character. Um, one exception, though, in, on the ABC in the 90s was um, was GP. Now I don't know how many people remember GP, and, and it ran for quite a few years, you know, across the 90s. And in its later years, um, it actually introduced a doctor, um, Dr. Martin Dempsey, who was um, who was gay, and it was they were quite upfront about that from the start. And he, it was actually sexually active on on TV, and that was quite, you know, sort of groundbreaking for the you know for the ABC and for such a, um, a popular series because GP at that time was very popular. Um, things are a little different now. Um, some would say not necessarily so much, but we do actually have more gay representation. Um, I spoke about Chris from Neighbours earlier um, before, and his first on-screen kiss happened last year on 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 you know, sort of on Neighbours. And you know what? It actually didn't rate a mention in the tabloids. There was no outcry. There was no sort of you know, you know, sort of um, out you know, sort of you know things to sort of say, let's ban this and, you know, talk radio, didn't even touch it, um, which is quite interesting given that, you know, the home and away same-sex kiss, you know, attracted so much attention. Now, whether that's because um, Neighbours is now being played on Channel 11 as opposed to Channel 10 and not many people actually saw it, or maybe it's just that nobody actually gives a damn anymore that, you know, two boys are kissing in in a party in the background. Um, Now, more recently, we've had uh, recurring characters in shows, as I mentioned, like uh, Winners and Losers and Offspring, um, the Slap had, you know, sort of the, um, the, the gay teenager. And we also had Outland that um, that John Richards, you know, sort of um, presented us with last year, which was a show about a gay science fiction club. Significant because their sexuality was not the issue. It was all about, you know, it was, that was a given. It was all about them being, you know, sort of a gay science fiction club and, you know, sort of internal sort of um, stuff. But John will probably talk about that a bit more later. Um, what was interesting about that show as well was that the um, the Age Green Guide reviewer, Jim Shembury, um, when it screened last year, said that it was too gay, um, and <laughs> which inadvertently created a social media storm, um, and actually resulted in him leaving his job as a as a Green Guide reviewer, as a reviewer for The Age, where he'd been for about thirty years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't
4: pick on my show. That's what I'm saying. <laughs>
2: Um, and it's kind of interesting, I think, yeah, I, I know Jim, you know, sort of reasonably well, not, you know, we're not best buddies, but he's not homophobic, he's always been quite supportive, you know, of me and stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it seems, you know, that there is still some resistance to seeing gay men and their, you know, uncensored lives on mainstream TV. Um, and that was kind of interesting. However, then along comes um, came a show called House Husbands last year on Channel 9, which, interestingly enough, is... is probably one of the most blokey, straight blokey, very conservative TV networks we have in Australia. Um, I don't know how many of you saw or sort of heard of anything about House Husbands. Um, it was actually a bit of a sleeper, but it actually grew to be quite a big hit. And it was about four hapless stay-at-home dads dealing with, you know, sort of, um, with working mums and custody battles and gay parenting. Because um, we had Kane, played by Guyton Grantley, is a co-parent of a six-year-old girl called Stella, um, who's the orphan niece of his partner Tom, played by Tim Campbell. Um, and what was refreshing, you know, with this, and what's and surprising as well, was that, you know, sort of the, um, the deliberate non-issue of their sexuality and their circumstances. It's, it's obvious from the first episode that they are a couple. Um, or, no, it's not obvious until about the second episode that they're a couple. Um, and the word gay, you know, sort of referring to them is not even mentioned until episode four. Um, and I think that's interesting that, you know, sort of... Um, it, it's not necessarily downplaying their sexuality. It's actually showing that it doesn't really matter. Um... Cain and Tom are just regular guys who just happen to be gay. Uh, Kane has a, a pie business, you know, a baking business that he runs from home. Tom's a fireman. Um, so, they, they, you know, they're, they're kind of blokey enough and maybe that's the, you know, the, the, that's the payoff or, you know, maybe that's the concession that the nine executives did. It's sort of like, well, let's just make them regular guys. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, and I'm going to play a clip here from, um, from episode five of House Husbands um, because, you know, sort of... Um, this is the episode that they actually get a lot of, you know, a lot of screen time, like, you know, as, as in most of these ensemble cast shows, every, you know, there's a sort of, a focus happens every episode, and episode five was the episode that, that Tom and, and Kane's story was focused on, because Stella, their their, their daughter, was, um, you know, had to go to hospital because she, um, she had a um, a, 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 oh, a cancer or, or something, a, 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 cyst on her spine that they discovered while she was playing soccer and so they had to rush her into hospital and it actually threw uh, threw Tom the uncle into a bit of a into a bit of a spin because he didn't know how to be a parent um, and he didn't know what was expected of him and and all that sort of stuff Um, so I'll just show you a small clip here of you know sort of you know towards the end of the episode when Stella is being wheeled into the um, into the the surgery so we'll have a look at that I actually found it quite touching so I, I hope you too as well no, look, I know it's, it, it is kind of, you know, it's, it's very sentimental and a bit mushy, and it is very mainstream, but I think that's, you know, sort of, um, that's, that's its strength, and I think, you know, from, you know, a, a notoriously conservative network um, like Channel 9, house husbands presents a fairly fuss-free and even-handed depiction of gay parenting, which is something that, you know, sort of is, is you know, is becoming more of an issue these days. And then and now currently, even as we, you know, not as we speak right now, but, you know, so sort of currently on ABC2, um, Josh Thomas has a new six-part series called Please Like Me. Um, it's a, not quite a comedy, it's not quite a drama, and it's loosely based on Josh Thomas's own experiences. But what's nice is the, is the way that his show does not apologise for or make an issue of, of Josh's sexuality. Um, his coming out, if you can call it that, um, is dealt with quickly and non-eventfully in the first episode, and the story moves on. Um, you know, sort of onto Geoffrey's attraction to him. Now, have, has anyone been watching Please Like Me at all? Yeah, there's a few. But I, I actually quite like it. And, you know, so sort of one of the, you know, Geoffrey sort of is this hot, rather dumb character, <laughs> really. But, you know, sort of, um, but he's, he's attracted to Josh and Josh doesn't quite understand why. Um, and, the, you know, sort of in, in the first episode, the story moves on very quickly to him, you know, sort of his seduction of Josh, if you like. Um, and I'll just show a quick, quick here, quick clip here. This is, you know, sort of the first time where they actually go to bed together, um, and it's it's quite endearing, I think, as Josh Thomas can be. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, yeah, he's just—it's he's, just quite sweet, and you know, sort of, and, and bumbling and all that sort of thing. Um, other storylines in *Please Like Me* do talk about his friends and family, and they play a big part alongside this boyfriend story. And again, I think it's refreshing to see that it's all—it's quite nicely underplayed and, you know, endearing and appealing. Um, you'd expect Josh Thomas to be a bit bigger, given his, you know, his, his, you know, sort of performance on shows like *Talking About Your Generation* and stuff. But it's good that he's not. Um, but it seems that not everyone enjoys it. Um, Andrew Fenton from the Herald Sun reviewed it this week, um, this, this last Thursday's episode. In, in these terms, I'll just read this out. Um, Please Like Me it begins with a 30-second 30, 30 close-up of a young man's nude, jiggling bottom. Not sure why. I do have a theory. There's a death, a breakup, a pregnancy, cheating, and a divorced couple fighting. So it's not a laugh a minute. Jokes have never been Josh Thomas's strong suit. They're thin on the ground in this light drama with comic overtones, but it is worthwhile viewing. Caitlin Stacey is in it, in other words, which is just like oh, it's ah, it, oh, it's just mm-hmm. quite damning, and you know, sort of like oh no, you know, and it's, obviously he's a you know a straight guy, he doesn't quite deal with naked bottoms in his face, but you know, as long as there's a hot chick in it, it's okay, you know, it's worth watching just for her, um, which is it kind of you know, well, it's a Herald son, what do you expect? Um, but, but why the, what's interesting as well is that why the ABC is screening Please Like Me on ABC 2 and not ABC 1, as originally promised. Um, and that's actually got people talking. Um, and I think John's going to sort of talk a bit about this as well because he had similar issues with, um, with Outland. Um, did they lose their nerve? Or is it just more about them trying to, you know, sort of um, target um, the youth audience as ABC 2 is, is trying to do? Um, I just look, you know, sort of the jury is still out on that. Um, so where does that all leave us? Well, clearly gay couples and parents, you know, are much more easily accepted and, you know, and included in TV now. Um, there have been no outraged, you know, protests about their inclusion in things like House Husbands and even Please Like Me, is, you, know, sort of a, you know, sort of has not had any, apart from that review, there's not been any sort of scandal about that. And while stereotypes still persist, um, at least there's a little bit more light and shade and a few more positive role models. Um, than there was even 10 years ago. There's still a long way to go, but let's hope that, you know, sort of, um, that there is... So, you know, we, we do actually progress, to, you know, as, as Catherine was saying before about, you know, sort of including much more diverse demographics and much more diverse representations on, on TV, which leads us nicely into, um, into John Richards because he's going to talk, take us into our last sort of um, spot and he's going to, going to be talking about the, um, the future of gay characters. Now, John is a co-creator and writer of um, Outland. He's a podcaster with um, Box Cutters, and um, he's presenting Splendid Chats, Year of Doctor Who, Um, and there are two shows during the Comedy Festival this year, so check them out as well. Um, But yes, so John, over to you. Tell, take us into the future.
4: I, I'm, I'm the ghost of Christmas future, I think, <laughs> on this panel. Um, I'm probably going to be the slightly negative one as well, just to, to, to round us off there. It, I was going to mention, because you were saying that it's a good time for... There are a lot of gay characters on television now, but it's interesting when you mention the first gay character on Neighbours, when, in fact, the first gay character on Neighbours was Andrew Macca-McPherson and back in the early 90s. Now, no-one remembers this character. And there is a kind of sense with, with gay television that we go in circles. Like, I still don't think we have necessarily anyone as positive as Don Finlayson in number 96, that character was a massive uh, cultural, yeah, at the time people loved him. He was, a, he was a massive character in a way that no other gay character has quite had that mainstream impact since. And the fact that we kind of, every time Neighbours puts a gay character in, it's always the first time Neighbours has had a gay character because we never remember the last time they did it. And one of my feelings is that while there are a lot of great gay characters in ensemble casts now. And I think the word ensemble is kind of important here. And even um, Will and Grace, for example. I think without the and grace, you wouldn't have that show. There's a joke in 30 Rock about a conservative TV station that edited Will and Grace down so much it was simply called Karen. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's the thing, that to keep us safe for the mainstream, we need to be diluted. Uh, Which means when someone like Josh Thomas or Adam Richard and myself try and do something like Outland or Please Like Me, there can be some issues, because I think you can pretty much, there are, there are a whole bunch of really great, uh, usually English, telemovies and miniseries about gay characters. Uh, when it comes to actual TV dramas in which they are not ensemble, but, but strictly lead, you know, which you can point to go, no, it's definitely about gay characters, you've probably got enough to make a three-minute montage, and I prepared one earlier. <laughs> Jay, could you please play the, uh, the first clip? Um, I actually had that conversation with my boyfriend just the other night. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Um, So those were clips uh, in order, if I've got them written down in order, which I don't, um, from Queerest Folk, the the UK original. uh, Lip Service from BBC Three. The L Word, Noah's Ark, um, Please Like Me, and Outland. I would have played part of a trailer for Outland, but the ABC deliberately kept it a secret when it went to air, so there really aren't many to choose from. I think they loved it so much they didn't want to share. Now, the thing about those is, when I was a kid, what I really wanted was a show in which the lead cop just happened to have a boyfriend. That's, that's the thing I always really wanted. And what I didn't show a clip from was the uh, Donald Strachey, or Strachey, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, series which was a, again, they were movies, but it was a series of four movies in 2008 that were uh, Canadian, I think. Off the top of my head. And they were effectively about a gay cop, uh, and that was an attempt to kind of make a a sort of mainstream show like that. I also discovered a show that never got made, and I'm so upset, which was uh, Mr. and Mr. Nash, which in 2003 was going to be produced by Steve Martin uh, and starring Alan Cumming about a gay couple who were interior designers who solved crimes that was meant to be like (laughs) heart-to-heart, which is my ideal show. (laughs) And I'm, I'm so sad that never happened. (laughs) But the thing with Outland, and it's interesting to note that um, most of those shows, Queerest Folk actually did have a a bit of a... It was a a minor but mainstream hit in the UK, almost by surprise, I think. The others are often on very small cable networks. They're they're going for a niche market. It's interesting that Australia, Please Like Me and Outland, aren't shows attempting to go for a niche market. I, I would say both Josh Thomas and ourselves were just trying to make a comedy that we thought a mainstream audience would watch. Adam Richard performs to mainstream audiences, Josh Thomas performs to mainstream audiences. There was no attempt to make a gay sitcom. And yet, reading some comments online recently about Please Like Me and seeing people go, I don't know why they made this, the target market in Australia is so small, and the idea that gays must be the target market, like, that clearly a straight person couldn't be expected to watch a show about gay people, so therefore it must only be for gay people. And that was the thing when we made Outland that we were asked if we wanted to put a heterosexual character in. And we said if we did that, it would become a show, it would become the the big gay show, because suddenly it's about the gay characters uh, in contrast to the normal character. And our point was if we made them all gay, then everyone could watch it the same way we watch television. And I think one of the things we discovered from that is I'm not sure that works, um, in that basically white straight men are the problem. (laughs) <laughs> and I discovered there was this thing where uh, people would assume that it wasn't for them. Men would assume it wasn't for them. Those sorts of reviews you'd get. And most of our reviews were, were rave reviews, but often surprise rave reviews in a kind of, I didn't think I would like this show, and I did, weird. And I was like, but that's because that's how we watch television. I think all gay men grow up knowing there are so few gay characters on television and they're not in the leads that we grow up learning how to imagine ourselves as Don Draper. You know, we watch Mad Men and go, how does Don Draper feel? I think all women, regardless of sexual stripes, learn the same skills because most women on television are straight men's idea of what women are. They're not necessarily women written by women. They're not necessarily there to do anything other than tell the man how great he is. So they're also watching thinking, how does Don Draper feel? White straight men have never had to learn that because all shows are for them and they are the lead character in all of them. So it was quite interesting to try and go to them, no, 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 you should be able to watch this and just think, how is Max feeling? How is, you know, how's Josh Thomas feeling? And it's interesting that we've hit, I think, a kind of barrier on that, which I wasn't expecting. And I'm, I'm slightly concerned because I'm, I'm not sure if that means we will never get shows in which you just have the gay cop who's the lead, not. Not the friend of the gay cop, not the partner of the gay cop, not the gay cop's boss, but the actual lead whose relationships should be as important as anyone else's or as unimportant as everyone else's. And um, there is a slightly happy ending from that, which I've got. But I just want to mention, I found this quote, actually, because this, this also corresponds to shows about women, it corresponds to shows about other minorities. There was a great, great quote from the New York Times in which... Sarah Seltzer said, people assume that a woman of colour can identify with Batman, but the male viewer won't identify with a black female doctor. I think this is true with, with not just gay shows, but when any show is a success in America, it will lead to dozens of copycats. So Lost led to like dozens of terrible, terrible shows about convoluted mythology, and all of which were bad and got cancelled, but they're still <laughs> you know, churning them out. Yet the success of The Golden Girls never led to any other shows about older women. Um, Queerest Folk in the UK didn't lead to a whole bunch of gay shows. In fact, uh, Russell T Davies' next show after that, I think, was Bob and Rose, which is about a a gay man who chooses to become straight. So it's kind of... uh, We're not going to see any success that happens in this doesn't lead to anything else. And it does feel like we just sort of circle around this history over and over again. Um... And Logo, even down to the fact that Logo, which made Noah's Ark, which ran for two seasons—that was the, the one with the uh, black LA kind of gay um, series—had two series and a telemovie, movie, or possibly actually a feature movie. Uh, even Logo has now declared it's not gay anymore, or at least it's not as gay as it was, or it's 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 gayish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they actually uh, declared in February 2012 that the majority of gays and lesbians define themselves by multi-dimensional notions other than purely on their sexual orientation which is why they were now bringing Design My Dog out on their new slate, Um, which is exactly what you think it is. Uh, And so they don't do gay dramas anymore. They don't show gay dramas anymore. I think we'll continue to have the gay ensemble characters, but even down to the first episode of Outland went to air. I was actually in a a bar in Albert Park because they just had a gathering to play it there. And these guys that were there, one of them wandered in to see what we were doing, wandered out again. And his friend said, oh, what was that? He said, oh, no, some show about blokes kissing blokes. And that was it, as far as he knew, blokes kissing blokes. And both Please Like Me and Outland had a gay kiss in the first episode. Modern Family deliberately avoided having any gay kisses until, I think it was the second series or even later. And they said that. They said they were deliberately not going to show it. And it was interesting to discover how much I mean, but before Catherine, you said about your son feeling uncomfortable, and that's still.
3: I'm so glad that he uh, felt that he could, he wanted to. He felt he can, it, and he, he could express he it, and he, and it, yeah. he said, you and know, and think about it. Yeah, yeah, and share it, and and say, I feel bad that I feel guilty. That I've, I've that I yeah that I don't feel good, that I feel uncomfortable. He's fine well, now. He jacks off while they're. <laughs> so, who, who doesn't darling, Who doesn't? You know um, I, just, <laughs> but, I say look I'll love you if you're normal or if you're heterosexual you know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is the thing I think that is still so much more important than we thought it was and I, I do think that's why um, please like me has been shifted over to ABC2. Even when Outland was on, there was a kind of annoyance in some circles, kind of going, basically, why is my ABC1 being taken up on a show that clearly isn't for me? There weren't people who'd watched it. They were just angry that there was a gay show there, and therefore that was not for them, rather than trying it and seeing what they liked. It's almost like, why is that infesting my channel, in a way? And as much as ABT2 is kind of the edgy, hip world, it's, it's also the world of repeats of QI, and I think a lot of people do see it as, as the second rate thing, and I can see why Josh Thomas is, is very upset about having been shifted there. Um, I would also mention, too, Outland, and, and Please Like Me, the only two ABC comedies that look any good, like the only ones that have used a tripod for some reason, like it's just, only the gays want things to look nice. <laughs> can we have some cinematography? Let's try that out, see what it's like. Um... I do have some good news, though. My good news, though, my good news, television is dead. There we go. Yes. So the, the current system we know as TV has 10 years tops left in it. Um, we are moving to on-demand. We're moving to platforms like the iView, like Hulu in America, uh, people like Netflix, who um, have funded the uh, American Kevin Spacey starring version of House of Cards. I think i might right saying cards. Uh, which was made available in the entire series on one day. So you could download the whole thing and, and mainline it. Uh, they're also doing Arrested Development. A new series of Arrested Development, again, will be available in one go. So that's how people are, are moving, to stuff on demand, to, uh, and to niche audiences who are willing to pay for things rather than the mainstream television thing, which is broadcasting to the biggest number of eyeballs. So... Commercial television will still exist. They'll still be broadcasting uh, reality game shows. Celebrity Splash—I saw Adam Richard is in. It's a uh, it's a celebrity game show in which people train to be uh, divers, uh, to be like Olympic-style divers. Um, the Wikipedia entry has a quote from the UK one saying it's possibly the worst show ever to be on mainstream television. So, <laughs> that's I'm, a big I know. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so, uh, 17 countries are making their own version of Splash at the moment, based on the success of the one in the UK.
2: Which was done by, I think Tom Daly was, um, was the, the, the men, one of the mentors. Oh, one of the mentors,
4: yeah. It's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's pop idol or a dancing one, but about people jumping off mm. uh, off high dive boards and, and then playing Josh... the same footage over and over again. <laughs> and Josh Thomas is in this one as well. Is he? Well. And so is yes. Nick
2: Brax and Bryn Edelston. 17 countries are <laughs> making <of> <laughs> They're and our six, 17
4: countries are making it, you know 16 of them are going to fail, but that's the kind <laughs> of programming that we're going to be seeing a lot of in the future. Um, the other programming that we will be seeing is... Uh, things like crowdfunded, niche programming, um, a lot of online programming. Um, in particular, I was going to show you very quickly two clips from two of the ones which are currently on here, Husbands uh, and Where the Bears Are. I should have also probably included The Outs in this as well. Um, these are shows being made by people kind of off their own crowd crowdfunded, uh, online, Husbands in particular, is one of the the people behind Husbands is actually Jane Espenson, who wrote a lot of Buffy, uh, Lost, basically every American TV show she has worked on, Game of Thrones. And so people like that are now moving into this realm where they can make what they want to and present it the way they want and can still make it financial. Um, Jay, can we play that other clip, please?
2: Some guy passed out in our bathtub. Hey, buddy. Party's over. (sighs) I think he's dead. dead. Jacob's
1: death has been reclassified a
4: homicide. Word gets out we have a dead guy in the house. There's nobody in town who'll come over here and have sex with us. Not from Scruff, Growler, Craigslist. Craigslist? Really?
1: My friend Chip bought Sharon Tate's house in 1972. Hasn't been laid since. We kept our wedding secret because, you know... Famous athlete. Famous actor. Famous actress. Not relevant.
3: But I didn't even know what I'm his best friend.
1: The people saying that we just went to Vegas and did this on impulse. <laughs> saying we were drunk? They just don't know us very well.
3: Uh. Brady? Ready? Brady? 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 I'm right here, Cheeks. I need you. I don't know where I am. It's so dark. Uh, I can't <laughs> see you anywhere. I woke up in some random place. I mean, more random than usual. <sighs> Brady! Jeez!
1: I'm in a tub. <laughs> you got married! It was Toad's plan. Or else.
4: So the second series of Husbands uh, was crowdfunded. It was only $60,000. Husbands only adds up to about half an hour to an hour worth of material per season. But I think that's the way we're going to see a lot of queer programming going. We will see gay leads, but they'll be in the stuff we fund ourselves and, and watch on demand. We'll continue to be ensemble cast in other programs, which is great. And I think that is a massive step forward. But I think we're not going to see the gay cop until this sort of thing gets up and running. It's still early days, but... The the really big step forward for crowdfunding was, of course, this week, the um, Veronica Mars kick-started movie. Rob Thomas, who created the TV series Veronica Mars, if anyone ever saw that, I didn't, um, but I gave 60 bucks to this one, was basically he's put up to make a feature film. He was after $2 million to make a feature film of Veronica Mars. In the first 48 hours, it reached the $2 million. Um, It's up to about $4 million at the moment. There's about another 15 days to go. So... This is the first kind of really big step, I think, of crowdfunding on that kind of level for drama. So, that I think is where we'll be going in the future. I think that's pretty much all I have to say, Tim.
2: Okay, which is kind of where we're, we're going already, isn't it, with, um, with being Brendo? And I know that we sort of, we were, um, you know, sort of the, the, the latest season is actually screened here as part of uh, Queer Film Festival, but that's also one of those online. Um, on-demand series that, you know, is actually produced by the um, VAC. Yes, yeah. Um, but there's also another one that Boaz Stark has done. I've forgotten the name of it now. But um, but there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of Australian sort of online gay sort of um, webisode kind of mm. series where they're, you know, five to ten minutes long. And, and, you know, and it's yeah, it's interesting.
4: And I think that will extend, though. I think eventually we'll get to the point where... I mean, a US comedy is 22 minutes long anyway. I think 15 minutes will probably be a good time period for telling... Uh, a comedy story I think you'll be able to do it and I think uh, I think we'll start seeing certainly sitcoms of 15 minute lengths online quite soon
2: mm. because, because of the internet and online yeah, our attention spans are getting shorter as well you know yeah. we can't be bothered sitting there watching something for, <laughs> for longer than 15 minutes let's be wow. honest <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yes so well that's you know sort of that's everything from us is um, any comments any questions from the audience
3: gay cops Cagney and Lacey.
4: They weren't officially gay, though, they? were they? Weren't they? I know you <laughs> can that... ship them. You can but read does, it in.
3: Does that show that I'm really kind of like limited and closed as a, you know, that was probably in the early 80s, that I just assumed that they were gay?
4: Or Well, but this is true. You asked earlier about why do so many gay men like Doctor Who? Because we mentioned that I'm doing this this podcast project this yeah, year, and yeah. we have two shows at Comedy Festival, April 6th and 13th, <laughs> uh, SplendidChats.com. And it was interesting because one of the big things about Doctor Who, when, when like Tim and I were, were young in the... Mesozoic era was that it was one of the only shows in which the lead character was deliberately asexual. Like it wasn't the fact that he was Mm. gay or straight; he was nothing. And I think that led this great safe haven for for gay kids that they could watch this and go, "Oh, thank God, I'm not meant to be trying to get it on with the female lead in this." Like every Mm. other show leads me to. And when the show came back, it was curious that he was now resolutely a heterosexual figure. And in fact, the show now has gay characters in it, but it somehow makes it less inclusive than it was then. No gay male couple has survived to the end of a Doctor Who story as yet. No. Although two lesbian couples have, so you'll be to know that there is at least some kind of... And one of them yeah.
2: is, a, is it a cross-species one as well, Madame
4: Vesta and Jenny. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if you like a bit of li- lizard... <laughs> Victorian lizard lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> lesbian, yeah, that's, that's, that's for you.
3: You know how you're talking about, like, a, you know, gay... It, like, if there's, like, if there's a gay character and it's kind of considered niche, it's very much... The the same way that, like a show like The Circle was considered, yeah. that it was like a women's Absolutely, show. Absolutely, yeah. Anything that was women's, women's show. So therefore, everything else on television is a men's show, yeah. and that's just it. Suck it up. It's very much like what they did with the Age recently, and the like the feminist perspective section. there called Daily Life. They changed to women's perspective. Uh, what was interesting, and don't, under, don't underestimate how many how much vested interest in there is still keeping. Uh, minorities or mm. perceived minorities as minorities, because it's the white straight guys. You know, we're basically being run by dead guys who want to keep perpetuating the idea of the Christian, heterosexual, married, mortgaged, breeding, monogamous going as this concept of this is the this is the right way and everything else is the wrong way. And that, I think that that was perfectly illustrated when they axed the circle last year, and I I didn't. Watch it, and i didn 't like the idea of it, like you what so why those women who I love, who had to act in certain ways, totally diluting themselves, and so that 's a women's show at nine o 'clock in the morning because we don 't work, um, and of course, women only want to watch women, but they act the entire show despite the fact it was hugely popular because they were losing money, and they had to get rid of that entire show because they couldn 't get out of the contract with that Horrible guy whose name I can never remember, Report. Paul Henry, saying, oh, oh, Paul who Henry. runs, okay. who's the, the breakfast... I've never watched the yeah, show, yeah. but some New Zealand kind of shock jock does a mm. breakfast show on 10. He was given a $1 million contract, which they could not get out of. And so in order to save money, they they axed, they boned the Everything circle, means. which was really popular. No one watches Paul Henry. No one likes Paul Henry. He's like, he's, I know he's a racist, but he's just like a really awful kind of brutish white guy but like that entire show just went they but they absolutely. and they never ever would have given a woman or a gay or someone who's disabled or an ethnic a million dollar contract that they couldn't get out of but a white straight man
4: for sure they also kept the Bolt report which was yeah rating a lot less than the <laughs> yeah. circle did but they kept circle i should point out i i love white straight guys and some of my best <laughs> friends are white straight guys and some of them are very good at their jobs and you know and what they do in the, in the privacy of their tv studios is you know but um it was interesting, we mentioned before we started this too, that HBO's Girls has mm. had the same thing. But mm. Girls comes under this insane amount of kind of attack for mm. why is this show on? Why is this show Why, she mm. why is she always naked? Why does she look like a normal person? Yeah, yeah. Why, um, why should I have a woman's viewpoint into the world for half an hour once a week? That's somehow And what about the one my... like going,
3: she couldn't possibly be shagging that good-looking guy as if he would have it. Who well, well, also the...
4: wasn't that good-looking. But yeah, oh, God. That's what
3: I thought. <laughs> I was just like... I was just at this conference, and it, Dan, um, Claire Bodich is um, running this conference called the Big Hearted Business Conference. Long story, but I had some books that had to be bought in for, to sell us merch. And uh, my boyfriend brought them in. And I was standing and uh, I, I talked to uh, Claire's sister, Lisa, who I kind of know, and she said, Wow, is that your boyfriend? And I said, Yeah. She said, Oh, I, I saw him come in and I thought, Wow, good looking delivery guy. And um, I actually get that a lot. People go, well, are your boyfriend's really good-looking. Like, so when they were doing that kind of... I'm going, not right, you know, he's okay. But, like, um, <laughs> but the, the assumption in there is that's not... not like, yeah, but, how can that be?
4: Yeah, we're used to seeing beautiful women as the wives of John Candy. Oh, in, that's exactly
3: right. That yeah. always... I would always look at these women and men couples on television going, as if she would... <laughs> Touch him with someone else's, like going, he's like, you know, short and bald and fat, which is, you know, fine, but how come all these short, fat, bald, old guys had these young, (laughs) blonde, thin, you know, that perception, which I just find repellent, that kind of look, I'm into the short, fat, you know, bald guys, but like, you know, that picture of what he's perceived to be, um, right, and you just kind of go again and again and again sorry, who's, who's casting these people? Yet she shags, you know, he's older than her and, you know, he's kind of... But, like, as if that would happen
0: in real life. It's like...
2: It happens all the time. What yeah. to you? <laughs> I
0: thought what was an interesting point you made about um, how just because you have a successful queer program doesn't mean it'll go on to something else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened with The L Word, that that was a successful that went for program. for four seasons, fine. And it was uh, meant to have a spin-off called The Farm, which was okay. going to be um, the character Alice. It was going to be, she was going to be the lead character in it. And it was all going ahead until uh, it was pulled because they said, no, we think we need a bit of a, we need a longer break before we bring another lesbian show back on. So I sort of this thing where you sort of go two steps forward all of a sudden we're like, okay, we've got some representation here, and then everyone freaks out. He goes, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And we sort of pull the ropes back a bit, and then all of a sudden we find we have no queer characters again, and someone goes, let's do a queer show.
4: I I had a pitch. How many bridges am I burning today? (laughs) um, But this actually showed up at an RMIT thing in public, so I think I can say this. I I had a pitch with a show at the ABC for a a, a period drama, involved a woman, involved a team who were, were solving mysteries, but it definitely had a female lead, and uh, we got told that the ABC already had their female lead show and didn't necessarily have room for two. So, <laughs> basically, yeah, we've got a show with a woman in it. Why would, why would we have a second one of them? <laughs>
3: but, I mean, that's the kind of thing... If a guy, as a Prime Minister, fails, that's because he failed because of his own personal attributes. If it's a woman, it's because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, you know always happens. You know, if a, a, a cyclist um, is hit and by a car and they die or get injured, but they're wearing a helmet, well, that's just bad luck. But if they're not wearing a helmet, well, that's because they weren't wearing a helmet, like regardless of where they were hit on their body. Mm-hmm. But I think that that, that that you just see this, oh, this uh, there's only enough room for this kind of tokenism. When we did this last time and I asked you, you know, because I'd done The Freak and we'd done a whole lot of, mm. you know, cre- creepy, freaky lesbian characters. And I said, you know, growing up, because we were at the same age, I said, who did you look to on television and like lesbian characters and, and kind of role model on or, or kind of go, oh, that's, that, that's a bit of a, here's what we prepared earlier. And you sat there for about 15, 20 seconds and you went, there, wa- there wasn't any. Mm. And Thinking about think
0: it I, now, I'd probably say Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> but you said there wasn't any and you talked, no, about, you talked about, you know, like, you know, your sexuality breaking open and how you identify as, as a teenager, as a young mm. teen, but it wasn't just that. You said, but then I thought, but then when I tell my family and friends that I'm, you know, I'm, mm. I'm a lesbian, I'm queer, I'm gay, whatever, what was their perception of that was what they'd see on telly. So it wasn't yeah. actually just so about was, you identifying. It was, it was just trick. like, yeah. what did that word,
0: you know, what, you know, Set up in people's minds. Well, it's interesting, you know, like going back to the L word again, which has been, which was really quite a phenomenon in lots of ways because of how lesbians portrayed. And one of the interesting things about the L word as well was that because there was it was mainly lesbian characters, you couldn't have them all being portrayed as vengeful, you know, yeah. psychopaths. You couldn't even you know, though they are. killing them off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what they did was, so they gave all of those character traits to the to the bisexual character Jenny instead. Um, so, but yeah, but looking at how that shows had what that what effect that show has had on the lesbian community in terms of um, how uh, a lot of younger lesbians look these days. Um, it, it, you know, you, you, those things very, are very much responsible for informing whole cultures. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, was, it is really something to go from, say, my generation, well, you know, I was um, just becoming a teenager when Prisoner was on, and seeing that... That that was that was what a lesbian was. It was it was it was Frankie Doyle and the Freak to looking at you know bett and Tina on mm. um, on the L word or the or Melanie Lindsay on Queer as Folk. Mm. You know, it's uh, the, the 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 change is phenomenal. It
3: is, but I'm not going to be grateful for the small amount of change. People no. go, oh, it's no. great. You know, going, oh, you know, the sexism in ABC. It's like. Oh, no, but they have one woman on Spics and Specs. and occasionally have somebody on QI for the BBC. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going to be, go, it's okay, until it's equal and it's fair and it's representati- representing the diversity in our society and the values that we hold. You know, people got going to go, yay, Glee. Not enough. Not enough.
4: Can I mention actually about Glee? Because I didn't mention that before, that Channel 11's actually been cutting out gay scenes from Glee. Yes. claiming that because it's in a PG time slot, they can't have gay sex scenes in episodes where so they leave the heterosexual sex scenes in. Mm. So it's kind of interesting That's that they still... That's amazing! But again, it's 11, so no one really notices. <laughs> um,
2: now, there was a question up the back, and we'll just take a couple of questions before we need to wrap up, but yes...
0: Good
4: question. I mean, I, I think those characters, though, I think we'll still have the characters in shows like Modern Family. And it's kind of almost like there's, there's two... there's two. One is, that thing you're saying about who did you look at? Because when I was a kid, it was Mr Humphreys from Are You Being Served. That was the only gay character on <laughs> <in> television. <laughs> oh! He's quite awesome, but he's not really a role model. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not ideal. Problematic. Um, and, and the thing is, though, the, the kids growing up now... The whole thing about the internet, of course, is that it has everything in the world in it, which is quite amazing. And so any kid who's questioning can find the stuff that he needs. Mm. So I almost think it's like, I'm quite happy for modern family to tell my mum what gay people are and be able to find something else online that actually can talk to me about what gay people are. I think that's maybe not a bad thing if there's two strands to that. In the same way that queer film festivals give us a, a much wider... Um, you know, like I I, I stuff that thing of, of when we went to see Bruckback Mountain... And my partner went, God, we've seen this film seven times at every previous queer film festival. But for people like my mum, it was a breakthrough. And I was going, what, well, don't you go to queer film festivals and see this film? It's usually about firefighters, but still. You know, and, <laughs> and it was kind of that thing of, um, I think that's, that's actually fine. I know, that's my thought anyway. I mean, I know it does make it more niche, and I agree, but I think...
3: Actually, I, you know. I, I totally disagree. I think that, like, if you look at, at... No one watches commercial television at the moment. I live in a household with, with uh, five men, one gay... Four straight. No one in my household watches commercial television. We watch Apple TV. We watch iView. We watch, you know, DVDs. It's actually a much uh, clearer way and more likely way that people are going to be viewing anything. People are just not watching commercials. And when they do, like my kids, were never I, wasn't, I never told them not to, but they kind of grew up on ABC TV because that, that's what's on. And then they had um, DVDs of Bob the Builder and Teletubbies and all that stuff. And they, they've just grown up in this world. When occasionally, like we went to my sister-in-law's place and watched the grand final and they're watching it and they're not into footy at all. And um, they're watching it, the ads come and they go, what are these? Yeah. Like, they used to ads at the start of, um, of YouTubes, but not actually stop. Why, well, hang on, why is this stopping? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's this? And what Men that's talking right, that's to that's men okay. about barbecues and, like, <laughs> just, you know, where are the women? while well, they're washing the jumpers and they're, you know, <laughs> serving the pies mm-hmm. with the gay guys. So I think it's a better way.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I think that is a bit of a concern, I think people do watch commercial television. I, I, um, and I think that, yeah, that basically if you have to go and look for something, then generally it's because you might have an interest in it uh, in some way, shape or form. But what we have seen with things like Modern Family and Will and Grace and whatever is that a whole slew of, of the population got exposed to something that, that they pro- possibly wouldn't have gone and, um, you know, sought out themselves. So I think, yeah, that's, that's possibly something that... Um, that is is concerning.
3: Well, John, if you're right and everything is moving, like, you know, the crowdfunding and 15-minute little sitcoms and stuff, that it will happen like the ABC, you know, moving Good Newsweek from the ABC to Network 10, that that, that people, they'll go, well, we need to get these viewers and look at how many clicks this is getting.
4: Let's put it on... Well, the ABC really does it, though. The iView platform is phenomenal. And, like, last year when Mm. Doctor Who was going on to iView before it was going on air, because they realised that that would stop Illegal downloading, which it pretty much did. And I I think, so yeah, for the ABC, it's it's less of a jump, I Mm. think, for anyone else. Mm. But I think it's, yeah, and I think those other shows will still exist on commercial television. But commercial television, I think, is going to look, if you go to Europe and it's pretty much all just reality game shows on their commercial television, I think that's what we'll be seeing a Mm. lot more of.
2: Um, There's a, just quickly, we we need to sort of get out of here. Um, But just quickly, there, I, I don't know whether, speaking of commercial television and advertising, there's a new series starting on Channel 7 soon called A Place to Call Home or a place called Home, which is um, set in the 1950s. I think it's about a... Um, it stars Marta Dusseldorf, who was in Crownies, um, and she's got a secret. And I actually think... I think I heard Notting Hazlehurst who's also in it on Joy sort of say a couple of weeks ago that it's, it's, got, it's got a queer storyline to it. And I reckon her secret is that she's, you know, she's not only European, but she's a, you know, she's, she's a lesbian. And <laughs> you can kind of get hints of that in the, in, the, in the trailer. So I think we will still keep... You know, so I think mainstream and commercial television is still going to try and, you know, sort of is still looking at ways to sort of to, to cover that and represent that. And they look, it may be a good representation. It may just, you know, sort of fall down flat. You know? And, and really,
4: the reality game shows, as much as I hate them, I think actually have been better at representing modern Australia than virtually any type of drama has. I think we see more disparate... Communities in those sorts of shows because that's a casting thing. They have to try and get people in who aren't just all the way. But then, the if you look sense.
2: at My Kitchen Rules, you know, just recently, you know, sort of the Spice Girls who are, you know, you know the, the demons yeah, and yeah. the Asian girls are the demons, evil. and and the gay boy Jake is, you know, is as camp
4: as all get out. Asian um, girls are the new lesbians. Uh, no,
3: I think that our bisexuals
0: are the new lesbians. Actually, bisexuals <laughs> are right. <the new laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it's been a trend for a while now. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Really? Ah, yes. Wow. Well,
0: they did We're too. being swamped by lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> they won't be doing that again. <laughs>
3: ah, yes. yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll get my kids onto that. <laughs> Where are the gays? Where are the disabled? Where
4: are the wogs? Didn't, didn't the gays win the block a while back? There was at least well, one series No <laughs> white gays, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Good say point. Gavin was. Gavin Warren, yeah. I don't know, I don't watch these things. I'm, I'm pompous. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it looks like we've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to come.
4: So um, so welcome to welcome to 2013. I think, I think we have to get out. Sean's looking very nervous.
1: <laughs> we do have another, another session coming in after this. So we You can ask us outside. Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah, we can. <laughs> <yes. But> thank <laughs> you very much to the panel for coming out. Thank you, everyone.
0: You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme channel and the Acme website.